Dexter Stucky presents Industry, Industry Friends. Friends. Welcome to another edition of Industry Friends. I'm your host, Dexter Stuckey. Welcome, guys, to the month of March, Women's History Month. I have in the building with me today, Marion Simmons, who is the CEO and founder of Hotep LLC and a public speaker. Welcome to the show, Marion. Hey, everyone. Look at you so shy over there. <laughs> hey, everyone. <laughs> warming up, but warming up. Okay, warming up. <laughs> okay. Um, first off, happy um, Women's History Month. Thank you, thank you. Now, I always start to show off with a uh, personal story of how to, how I know the person. So I've known Marion since college, we both went to Lincoln University together, mm-hmm. the first HBCU. <laughs> and um, I guess we maybe had like a high and by like situation at Lincoln. We never we didn't really like talk. I, I can't remember any like situations of us like like hanging out at Lincoln. Right. But I, we had mutual friends. So we knew, who you know, I, I feel like everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. You, that doesn't necessarily mean you just like hang out with them all the time. And that's right. where we were. And then I remember one day Marion posted on uh, Facebook um, does anyone want to pl- anyone want to play the um, the iPhone the iPhone game Uno? And I'm like I'm sitting sitting down with nothing to do. I'm like yes, <laughs> let me play. So like she adds me to this group chat. It's the three of us, and she's like, who else wants to play or whatever? And then it's I think it turned out to be like six different people in mm-hmm. there, and we're just chatting in the group chat, playing Uno. It was really fun. It was a really fun experience, yes, and and it was and we kind of like bonded from there because mm-hmm. like. From there, we would talk about, like, you know, personal, like, you know, what's going on in our lives and everything. Then we started to realize we like the same TV shows. Yep. And we started to bond this over the us. TV show. Uh-huh. Yes. And and then, you know, it just overall turned into, like, a friendship. And actually, I think Marion is probably one of the most supportive people that I know. Um, we were just talking behind the scenes, and she was like, Dexter, you do podcasts, you do acting, you do this, you do that. And what I can say about Marion is that, like, she listens to my podcast that I do. She's she she um, came to the play that I did. Like she's here right now doing industry friends. So like I I really do appreciate the support. No problem, not at all. I feel like Marion like low key supports me like she supports Nicki Minaj and that's her favorite artist. So yes. like <laughs> shout out to the bar. <laughs> now the industry you're in is the foster care system. Yeah. So when I first started off speaking, which was in 2006, it was more so strictly. Foster care, foster care, foster care. Mm-hmm. Now I would say I'm more so advocacy simply because I um, I don't just speak on foster care anymore. So say someone is having an event and they want me to speak on a specific topic that may have nothing to do with foster care, they can request it and I'll develop a presentation strictly towards what it is that they're asking for. Oh, wow. So like, how did you make the transition from switching from just to foster care to encompassing other avenues? So when I first started off in 2006, I was currently in foster care at the time. I was 16 years old, living in a group home. So we had something called a um, youth advisory board. So with the youth advisory board, there was like a county base in Union Union County, New Jersey, where we focused on issues across the board for foster children. And then there was the member action committee, which was program based, Mm -hmm. where we specifically talked about issues in our program and what we wanted changes to, you know, what we wanted the staff to do, what we felt was lacking, how things could improve. Okay. So, of course, at that time, again, being in foster care, that's all I could pretty much cared about was things getting better for me while I was in care. However, as I got older and I started my own business, I wanted, I thought about income number one and then just not being in such a cookie cut 
um, arena of, of things I could talk about. And I had opportunity with a young lady I knew whose daughter was turning 12. Mm -hmm. And she's like, listen, I know you don't normally do this, but this is the age where my daughter's starting to worry about what she looks like, you know, how people perceive her. And I, there's going to be a, a wide range of ages starting from like five to maybe 14. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I would love for you to come and talk about self-esteem, self-confidence and I was like, why not? Okay. <laughs> so I developed a couple games. Um, I developed, obviously, some type of talk for them that was appropriate for their age. I came with little mirrors for them. Just about, you know, self-love, calling yourself a queen, knowing that you're beautiful, no matter what your hair texture is, what your color of your skin is, and so on and so forth. So for me, the transition was really about, you know, broadening, broadening my horizon when it comes to Hotep so that I'm not in this cookie cut small area of that's all that I can talk about. Okay. And what does HOTEP stand for? HOTEP stands for holding on to exceptional people. Now, for most people, exceptional people, you think of like the lilies and the butterflies, everything's perfect. Um, their life is going great. But for Marion Simmons, exceptional people, I think of the people who had odds against them, the people who were less fortunate, the people who came from nothing and are now, you know, very successful. They're exceptional to me. So okay. not the normal society's view of what's exceptional but the diamonds in the rough that's wow. what i think about when it comes to ex exceptional people i like the I like, yeah. and is that how you came up with the title with the name yes because i feel as though foster care a lot of people have like a negative stigma towards it and they think of all these negative things and a lot of times people hear me speaking and like oh my gosh we're so impressed you're awesome you need to come speak at my program whatever what have you but then on the flip side, most people, when they see foster children, that's not their thought. You know, mm. you you wouldn't know I'm a foster child until you had a conversation with me. But I just really want people to stop, you know, assuming that that's what all foster children are, just these bad kids. Think of the movie Annie and an orphan, and they're mm. just, you know, acting up because that's not really the case. A lot of us, you know, unfortunately, our families had situations that were out of their control. And, you know, we were either abused or neglected. And the state had to get involved for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. But that does not mean that the child is just some bad kid. And a lot of us may display some negative behaviors as a teenager. But you have to look at the trauma. A lot of people don't think about that. For sure. You're, you see someone that's 15 or 16 and they're acting out. There's normally a reason behind them acting out. Yeah. And unless you have a conversation with them and actually try to get to know them or find out where it's starting from, you're always going to say, oh, that, that's just a bad kid. Or that kid doesn't know how to act right and so on and so forth. But I know people who grew up in traditional families and had behavioral issues. I know people who, you know, they came up in a two-family household and still had behavioral issues. Mm -hmm. So foster children aren't these, like, random spats on a wall that just can't act or fit into society's normalcy. But unfortunately, a lot of times, that's what people expect. They get that label, they for sure. They get that label. They're yeah. expected to just be this perfect you, you don't do anything wrong. You just come in my house and you're going to sleep here. And you're going to eat here and you're never going to want to talk to people of the opposite sex. You're never going to want to break curfew. I mean, those are things that a normal person did. would do. Yeah. Right. But you'd be surprised. I'm telling you, there's foster parents. Oh, she, she doesn't want she doesn't want to stay in for curfew. Why does she want to talk to boys? Ma'am, did you not try to talk to boys when you were in high school? You got a husband, right? Hello. <laughs> um, now, without, uh, as, as comfortable as you are, you know, right. like, as far as, like, discussing, how did you, how, how did this whole, the, the foster care system come about for you? Like, what was your experience with it? Right. So, in 1994, my mother lost her 
parental rights. And if you're in a courtroom, they'll call that a TPR, which is termination of parental rights. Um, I actually started dealing with the state in 1990 when I was first born. My mom was dealing um, with some substance abuse issue. She's been to rehab. She went to rehab several times, but unfortunately, things didn't work out to the extent she actually showed up to court high. And, you know, my case came out today because I've actually worked for the state, which I'm sure we'll tap on a little bit later. You know, there's certain questions that the judge asks as a parent while they're in court, where if you say something like, listen, I'm under the influence, they're not going to proceed because you're not going to make decisions from your right um, mind Mm -hmm. and viewpoint. Unfortunately, again, she was under the, under the influence and she lost her rights in 1994. So I was in care from 1994 up until I aged out at 21. Wow. I was never adopted. I never got a forever family. Um, it's unfortunate, but I don't regret it anymore. I think when I was younger, I used to really hate that I never was adopted. Um, and, you know, I, I know so many people that did get adopted that I also know some people who got adopted and then the adoptions went bad. Mm-hmm. So everything happens for a reason. Um, but I was in care from 1994 until I aged out. And how was that experience for you? Wow. Foster care was really a roller coaster. My first placement was absolutely horrible. I was abused. And that's a, unfortunately a common thing that happens in the system. We're removed from our families who may be dealing with homelessness or um loss of income and struggling to provide adequate nutrition for their children. And, you know, they get placed, we get placed in these foster homes who are supposed to take care of us, be, you know, this perfect family. (laughs) They're not going to beat you. They're not going to abuse you. I got beat and I got beat bad. I literally had one um, situation. Actually, I won't say one situation. It happened several times when we got beat. It was four of us. We had to sit on the bed. And if you ever seen the Michael Jackson movie, Jackson 5 movie, Mm -hmm. how they all had to sit and got beat one by one by one. I experienced that in a foster home. So the state was paying for these people to take care of us and we were getting beat. Wow. Right. And now when you say placement, that Mm -hmm. isn't that's not the same as adoption. No. So placement as in these these well this couple whether my foster parents so they did not have custody of me i was still under the i was still considered a ward of the court and still in the state's care but they were my parents for the time foster parents for the time being and how long do, do those do those stretches normally last well that placement unfortunately i was there for four years and then i went on to be with my now godmom, who of anyone who knows me on a personal level i love her so much nice she showed me so much of the finer things in life i witnessed you know a mom and a dad well husband and wife working hard working hard going on vacation that's why i love to travel they travel at least like three times a year and i'm like <laughs> eight years old coming from what i had been through and then being placed there she took me everywhere like my first um plane ride was in 1998 we went to florida and the program that was assisting the state with my placement and when i say assisting as in like um how can i describe this so the state is paying right for my placement but this organization is making sure that things are going smoothly in the placement okay so she used to have to keep this log like every day of something that how my day was and she still has that one of the books she still has it so that's how i know that's nice 1998 because i probably (laughs) remember that on my own but she took me everywhere and there's so many cases where i didn't experience that a lot of foster parents put me in respite care which is like short term if they went on vacation or something but no uncle that who i love so so much she took me everywhere i went to canada twice i went to florida maryland um, new york several times literally anywhere she was going 
she took me with her. That's nice. Now, when you were in the the bad situations, how were you, how did you get out of them? So, we were. It was two sisters. Both of them were foster parents, and the twin sister, who actually lived like two blocks away, was also a um, like a state licensed babysitter. So, when the state needed children to be watched, she was one of the people that could basically step in to babysit them and would get paid for it. But I was in school in Asbury Park, New Jersey, and I don't know what it was. I feel like it was like, honestly, I feel like it was God. But I had got called down to the nurse's office, and there was this guy there in a suit, white man. I can still visualize this day. And he just started asking me some questions. And when I say, what do you say? You think like, oh, people go sailing? Mm-hmm. When I say I went sailing, Dexter, I told everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was tired of it. I just went on and 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 on about everything that we were experiencing in that home. How old were you? At that time, I was seven or eight. Yeah. Eight. I was eight. Wow. Yep. And then I came home. I'll never forget. I came home after school that day because they had to do, like, the body checks and everything. And when I say you could hear a pen drop in the house, they had already got to the house before I got there. Oh, so, they, okay. so she already knew what was going down, basically. And she's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did this. Why would you tell them this? All this. Like, I was just the worst person in the world. Like, I had committed some crime. Lady, you were beating the crap out of us. What do you mean? <laughs> like, literally, we would get on punishment when we were at her sister's house. And she had a closet underneath the stairs, so that was one of the timeout spots. So, no, there was no in the light. Closet? You would go in the closet, a pitch black closet, and you had to stay in there for a certain amount of time. Or you had to call the blue room, which I call the dungeon, which was the room also in the basement that was, like, painted light blue. And when you look out the window, you see the grass because it's, like, underground. Well, it's the basement of the house. Mm-hmm. And then um, it's just pipes in there. And you have that's another timeout room. Wow. Crazy. And this is what they, they felt there was nothing wrong with them doing this to us. Do nothing you, wrong with it at all. Do you have any communication with them now? Well, interestingly enough, because <laughs> God is so good. And I'm telling you, he has a way of like, you know, when people wish bad or like do things that they shouldn't do to you, he will let them witness your glory and mm-hmm. witness you level up and be successful. And they found me on Facebook. And, of course, I accepted them because I felt like at this point, yes, I want you to see how I thrive. They requested you on Facebook? Yes. Oh, don't get me started on how many of my not-so-nice foster parents have found me on Facebook. Or when they, they run into me and it's just like, oh, my gosh, you're doing so well. No thanks to you. Exactly. Especially the ones who thought I was going to be nothing at all. I'm like, yes, I have a college degree now. Yes, I own a business. No, I'm not a crackhead. No, I'm not on drugs at all. Like, literally, I'm I'm great. Yeah. And they're just sitting there like, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, <laughs> wow. it, it, it has nothing to do with what you did. It's what I did on my own. Exactly, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm really glad you, you, I'm glad you were open to sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I didn't know any of that. Um, also, I'm glad that you said that you do have a college degree because that's where I was kind of like leading towards next. Mm-hmm. How does a person who at eight years old spent time, who spent time in the basement as punishment, 
get to college. And the reason I wanted to ask that question is because, like, generally when I do this show, like, I want it to be for people in, who are in search of career choices. Right. Like, people who are maybe, like, not sure where they want to go from a career perspective or people maybe, like, looking into getting into a new career. Right. But also, like, now that I'm talking to you, like, this show could actually, and specifically this edition, could also help people who have dealt with that kind of same stuff. And I want to, I think you're a success story right. and I want people to see like what they could be. And so like, I'm really curious of how you, how you transitioned into college. Like how did you, how did you make it to college? So things didn't get much better. Unfortunately, I am a survivor of multiple situations of sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse. And I was with my godmom for four years, and then, boom, my dad pops up. Now, unfortunately— Your birthday? Yes, my birthday. Okay. Unfortunately, he did not know about me until that court case in 1994 because, as you know, the state, they're supposed to still try to find who's the father of the child, even if the mom says dad isn't around. They're still supposed to try to find him. So he found out with about me as she was losing her rights. So I still went remained in foster care, but at the age of, like, 12, 11, 12, my dad came into the picture wanting custody. Now, ideally, oh. you got to think, I was someone who grew up in foster care pretty much, didn't have that quote-unquote, you know, traditional family. So ideally, I looked at it as like, of course, I want to go be my dad. I want to be normal. I don't want to be a foster kid. Do you have a choice? Well, I feel like, yes, they did. And I feel like at that time, I did want to go with my dad. I wanted to, like, be normal. I wanted to not be in foster care and not be in a foster care placement. So the state still remained involved. However, I was placed with my dad, but he didn't have like full custody. Mm -hmm. How old were you then? So that was around 12. Okay. Unfortunately, my dad was extremely abusive towards me and, and winded up, which is a heavy issue right now that's being discussed in this country, psychotropic drugs and foster children. My dad would tell them she's not behaving right. I don't know what to do with her. So of course at that time, Unlike right now, they just put me on somebody's drugs. I was on several different drugs, several different diagnoses, schizophrenia, depression, bipolar. Um, and what, I don't and remember what is ever it called? being blood work. I don't ever recall. I don't recall them ever giving me blood work. And that's the most frustrating part because medicine affects everyone differently. Right. And it's not fair that I was pretty much like a guinea pig to to pretty much numb my, numb me from acting out instead of saying, well, why is Mary acting out? And I will never forget my godmother. I still remained in a relationship with her and I would come to visit and she refused to give me those meds when I was in her house because mm -hmm. she believed kids just need love, affection, and discipline and they will listen. Literally, my godmom could look at me wrong and I start to cry. So <laughs> she's like, she don't, she doesn't need any drugs. She, she wasn't on any drugs when, when she was with me. She doesn't need that stuff. And I had a lot of other issues already even prior to coming to her house so her thing is is if i could manage to get all of that under control and she's thriving now you're sitting here telling me you know less than a year later she's on somebody's medication something isn't right yeah so again i was hiding the abuse that i was experiencing from my dad i was living a lifetime story it was like um like a storefront style apartment building we were apartment two my babysitter when needed was apartment 15 I would be getting beat by my dad, run downstairs to apartment 15, sleep there. At 7 a.m., I run back home, get dressed, and go to school. Okay. And no one had, it was only one girl at the time in my school who I would, like, vent to about stuff, who knew what, I, what was going on. And one day, she just couldn't take it anymore, so she told. And she said, so-and-so, 
Marion got beat and she needs to get checked. And at that time, my dad had hit me. My dad is a Vietnam War veteran. He's no longer living, but he had hit me, punched me in my stomach. And that one hit, they wound up taking me to the hospital. I had internal bruising from getting struck one time. At 12 years old. Right. Right. So from that experience, of course, they started asking other questions, and I was automatically placed pretty much back into a foster home. And I would still go visit my dad. So there was still abuse going on, still like sexual fondling and things like that. And my foster parent at the time, she just had like this hunch. Like something is not right. Mm -hmm. Something happens whenever Marion goes to her dad. And I don't know what it is, but I'm going to figure it out. Even though, unfortunately, she was not the nicest foster parent. She had the every cover, every color fur and leather you can think of. And we were eating hot dogs and beans. Oh, wow. Right. So she, she one day we were talking and I, because I would have to come upstairs to take my meds, and I just, I, again, I think it was God, and I just went and just told mm-hmm. everything that was going on. So then, of course, I had to get a rape kit and all this other stuff, and um, my dad obviously lost his custody. However, when I went to trial, I lost my case. So my dad still got to know where I was, how I was doing, but he did not get to have physical contact with me at all. Like, okay. couldn't be in my... Um, space. I forgot what the exact feat was, but he couldn't come near me pretty much. So after that placement, I ended up in another placement that again was horrible. I had a false parent, big, big fat pastor. Literally, he was like over 300 pounds in a pastor and he stepped on my laptop that the state purchased me. Guys, this is all happening in foster care. It's absolutely mind-boggling. These people get paid, and they treat people's kids like crap. Mm -hmm. And I remember running away so much, I would let the girls beat up on me because I would think, if the cops come and they see me all types of bloody, they're going to get me out of here. But it never worked. I would run away. Of course, I didn't know where I was, so I couldn't run far. Mm -hmm. So the cops come, they bring me right back there. It's just, I promise you, at that age, it's like, why do they keep doing this? Common sense, I'm running away for a reason. Right, like so, back then, I don't think even think people like really thought. I think now people so. are a little bit more, you know what I mean? And I, think I people, hope so. And I think people like you are the reason behind that. Like, you know, you're advocating for people and you're talking right. about it. And I think that does help like adults and authority figures like realize like something's not right and we have to do something about this. Exactly. I, at least I, at least that's, that's what I hope. I hope so too, Dexter. I really do. But from that place of it, the state pretty much was over me. And they're like, we're placing you in a group home in North Jersey, and this is it. If you don't make it here, you're going in lockdown. Now, for a foster kid, when you get threatened with lockdown, that's nobody wants to go there. So that was my turning point. At 16, I ended up in this group home in Elizabeth, New Jersey. That was a transitional program. So you basically learn life skills, how to do your laundry, how to cook, schedule appointments. Um, travel on the bus, travel on public transportation. You had like these specific goals and that threat of like of lockdown pretty much is what made me be like, okay, Marion, we, we are not going to lockdown. You have to straighten up. And literally I thrived there. But the, I was cra- at- the crazy part about it though, is that you weren't even the one, like you didn't need to be a lockdown. Mm-mm. Like you, you weren't bad like you weren't doing anything wrong it's just that you were in situations where people like they were oblivious to like actually try to find out what was going on with me instead they just saw as oh she keeps acting out oh she's you know 
she needs discipline and so on and so forth. But I was in Community Access Unlimited. I'm a huge fan of that program. If you're a caseworker in New Jersey or if you have a chance to place a child there, I highly recommend them mm-hmm. because I thrive there. I travel with them. That's when I started public speaking. That's when I learned how to develop a business because while at CAU, they allowed us to turn our member action committee into an LLC to the point that we develop our own presentations and then they paid us to train their staff. Mm. Right. So that was my first experience of like starting a business and it was an LLC then and the whole board of the member action committee was pretty much the owners of the business. So while I was there, I had a really good um, caseworker at the time. Emily is still in my life. Emily Rodriguez. I'm pretty sure she's going to listen to this episode. (laughs) Um, she's a really gay, great caseworker. She was young. I don't want to say hip, but you know, she was like, I want mom her picking me up from school as my diapers worker. <laughs> Versus it'd be like an old lady, and it's like everybody knows that is not her mom, yeah. that's not her aunt. You know, Emily was cool. Um, she also was the person who moved me into Lincoln University, and it was like, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Like, literally, I did not want people to see that state car, and I expressed that to her. And this is about listening to your clients and listening to your caseload, you know, we're not two years old. I'm a 19-year-old woman about to start my freshman year of college, and I know people are nosy, and this is the HBCU. Mm -hmm. So I said, I need you to move me in early. We need to be there the minute that the gates open at 10 (laughs) so you can hurry up and put my stuff in this room, and that van could be off the premises. And literally, I promise you, Dexter, people were rolling up to Lincoln with families load. You know, when people Mm -hmm. normally move to college, everybody's helping them. It was just me and Emily. That's it. We got all my stuff up into my room. She made my bed, had everything ready, and she was out. She respected Shout me out to enough, Emily. okay? <laughs> she respected me enough to understand why I did not want people to see that being on Lincoln University's campus. Well, why didn't, when I when I moved into college and my mom and dad drove me up there in the minivan, why didn't they respect me? Because I didn't... <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm like, can we not? <laughs> My mom was like the the queen of minivans, like growing up. <laughs> so you you went through Lincoln, you transitioned, you mm-hmm. you're now an adult, you're you're in the workforce. Um, I know recently you were working at a position and you were like, um, I'm done with this. Like this isn't good yes. for my mental health. Yes. Um, do you think that your childhood trauma like affected in the, in the sense of like what you're willing to take, what you're not willing to take? Do you think that has anything to do with why you're like, I'm working for myself. If I'm not happy in the situation, I'm out of it. If you're not respecting me, I'm done with this. Do you think that that's why or? I think that I will absolutely, absolutely say that's why. And mainly, you know, I li- I've been living with depression for a very long time and I know how far I can get. You know, at one point I was in middle school, I tried to commit suicide in front of my classroom. So I know when it when it gets really bad, how bad it can get for me. So as an adult, I try my best literally to not get to that point. Yeah. And unfortunately at my last job, I was very unhappy. You know, I was working in a very toxic, toxic environment with people that don't look like me and don't value me or nor appreciate me. So I had a decision to make. I was living in Maryland. I'm originally from New Jersey. A lot of my support system is in New Jersey, and I was not doing well in Maryland. And unfortunately, when you're a um, high-functioning person who lives with depression, people automatically think you're okay. They they don't realize that you still get depressed mm-hmm. and you still have those low moments. And especially when you're living with depression and you have to go back to a house that's yours by yourself. You have to, Listen, we're talking about the mind here. Mm-hmm. So it's different where you can come back to a house where it's your mom there or your dad there or you have a roommate or your siblings. 
and you're sharing an apartment because there's always someone with eyes on you. There's always someone there that can say, okay, she's good. I do, I've done the wellness checks. I've put eyes on her. Mm -hmm. I know she's okay. But when you're living alone, and literally I was in a state where I really didn't have much support and all of my friends and family were two hours plus away. I would come home to a house by myself and, and that's when your mind can get the best of you. Yeah. So I had to make a decision for my mental health. I made a decision where I did not know where my next job would be. I did not know how I was going to survive after leaving that job. I just knew mentally I was tapping out. I okay. couldn't do it anymore. And then you left. And I left. And August 16th, 2018. And so now, like, you are, you're pouring yourself into your business. Absolutely. And one of the biggest things you're doing, you're, you're public speaking a lot. Absolutely. And, like, you, we were talking recently, you were saying, like, like, sometimes with public speaking, it gets frustrating because people don't value or know your worth. Absolutely. Specifically when it comes to, like, finances. Absolutely. So how do you stand up for yourself in a sense of like, I know my worth, I know how much I should be getting paid or what, what the, the lodging should be or whatever. Like, how do you do that now? Or matter of, specifically, how what advice would you give to other people who may be experiencing the same thing? Okay, so when Hotep started in 2015, it was thankfully due to the owner of Community Access Unlimited. We have a great relationship and he helped me with like the paperwork and registering and all that. And he had a conversation with me as he has plenty of speakers come to his company to speak. And he told me, if you tell someone that you won $500, yes, I'm going to say that very loud and clearly, if you ask someone for $500 to speak for one hour and they even flinch or act shocked or feel as though, oh, my God, why are you crazy? They've underestimated you. I repeat, if you ask someone for $500, to speak for 60 minutes, and their initial reaction is, huh, what, you tripping? Oh, yeah, no, we can't do that. Mm. Listen to me clearly. They underestimated you, and they think you don't know the business. I have not taken $200, $300 since probably while I was still in foster care, maybe the later, later years of maybe like 24 the latest. I am now 28 years old. I've been paid $500 to speak, plus flight covered, plus lodging covered, plus meals covered, plus federal per diem, not state, the federal per diem rate. So that's when you add that all up, that's well over $1,000. Mm -hmm. So I've now come to situations where, okay, people say, what about bartering? Not every organization is going to have the same budget. Absolutely. There are situations where I'll say, okay, I'll take 300 but I need a room, as in I need lodging. I need you to have a hotel book for me. Or I'll take I'll take 250 but I need you to give me some type of travel compensation, whether it be a gas card, tolls covered, or reimbursed. These are examples. Or I will offer it if, I, again, if I know how your budget is and I know, you know the type of organization you are. For example, there's going to be organizations like the Red Cross. We know they have $500. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's no doubt about it. But then there, there may be a, start, a startup organization locally in your, communi in, in your community that's a nonprofit who is barely making it already, who you may say, listen, I'll give you, I don't even want 250 You, because I know your situation, I'm going to take 
$100. However, I need promotion. Yeah. I need this room to be, you know, at least this many people, and I need this many referrals. There's okay. ways to barter. However, when you see an organization is not valuing, valuing you and is underestimating you, I'm not new to this. And then, you know, I'm taking off my professional hat, and I'm just going to keep it real. I'm not new to this. <laughs> 2006 is over two, over 10 years ago yeah. at this point. I'm well established. The federal government has requested me to come speak. Literally, first name, I want Marion Simmons to come and speak at this conference. So I don't, I'm not talking like this to say, oh, I'm just that chick. No, it's because I put in work. I've trained for it. And people don't realize, okay, oh, it's just 60 minutes. It's just 60 minutes. I've spoken for three minutes and got paid $300. Three minutes was a fundraising event. Three minutes, I had to tell my story. And if you know about fundraising, you got to come up with something to say to make these people dig in their pockets. And they raise a lot of money. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. But again, three minutes, three hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people often will underestimate you. And I ask that people take their craft seriously, though. I listen to speeches speeches on TV, and sometimes I get irked. I don't like to hear a lot of ums. I don't like to hear a lot of the same words. When you're a public speaker, you're going to you're going to practice. You're going to run through your presentation and you're going to put your best foot forward. You're not asking somebody for $500 for you to get up there on stage and then you forget what you're supposed to say. You guys hear that? This, these are industry friend tips. So if you guys weren't writing this down, I'm just saying. Like that was, <laughs> that was incredible. And I really do appreciate you for no sharing problem. that because a lot of people don't. And to be honest with you, like for me, like to not only hear your story, but to also get these tips like myself, like that's a privilege for me because I always listen back to like my past shows and stuff. And I'm like, you said, um, you said, um, you said, um, and like, I'm really hard on myself with this. So I'm really glad that you put that out. And for people listening, guys, like that is important. And like people really, really do pay attention to that stuff. Like just, you can tell when someone has practice and you can tell when someone has it. When I was in my group home and we were learning how to do presentations, we had a trainer. And if you said, um, she would, (laughs) <laughs> and I bet you this much, you don't want someone to do that when you're going through your presentation. So, of course, we learned to stop saying, um, yeah, I forgot what president it was, but I remember listening and I just would go crazy. Like probably they, our, probably our current tell, one. Oh, no, I don't even <laughs> I don't even watch his. Honey. I, ain't even, <laughs> I don't even need that type of stuff in my life. But I literally could like count like he's going to say it again. He's going to say it again. Mm-hmm. He's going to say it again. He's in like one of my favorite and I'm not trying to be funny at all. Barack Obama was an awesome speaker. Yes. Awesome speaker. Fluent, clear. And even with you, you know, when I support my friends, I listen to their podcasts and I give feedback. Literally, I said, oh, Dexter, your pace was perfect. Because I know me, myself, I'm someone who speaks very fast. Mary listened (laughs) to the first episode of the podcast and she said, like, your your pace was very good. Like, you talked clear and and slow which is insane to me because like you know i work in radio i work in media and that's my biggest thing people i was like you got to slow down you got to slow down so when you said that that was to me just like the biggest compliment aside from somebody who said that i'm a really good interviewer like that was really (laughs) good Uh, at this part of the show i always ask people like what's next for them and i know you have so many things come like coming up for you and that you're working on but like what is next so right now, Hotep is still around. I just submitted a proposal. I'm still, you know, looking to get gigs and see my business in a different space than what it is right now. You know, speaking at conferences is nice, but I really want to start to get a consistent schedule mm-hmm. where I have contracts and consistent gigs where I'm coming to organizations or institutions 
on a quarterly basis so that the revenue seems to have a flow because right now that's not necessarily the case. When people hit me up, then okay. Then if they don't, then there's nothing going on. And I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also been working on writing, maybe not necessarily advocacy things, but some personal things that I would like to write about. In addition, I recently went out for several different jobs because I will not lie to you, Mm -hmm. industry friends. Working for yourself is not easy. I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that. It is not easy. My account is the worst I've seen my account look in years. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't thrive like this. You know, there's you'll I'm pretty sure you've probably heard people say it. Sometimes your nine to five is is the foundation for you to be able to support your 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 dreams, you know, your businesses. And that income that you're getting, you may use some of that to help your business. So I've like applied to do teaching things and educational jobs. I put in for some correction, you know, criminal justice positions, even in terms of being a cop. So Uh (laughs) I'm just really at a point in my life where social work doesn't necessarily make me tick like it used to. And I feel like this is a great age for me to be at this space because I don't want to be 45 saying, oh, my God, I hate my job. I hate my career. I've done the wrong thing. What am I going to do? So I'm just really looking at all fields and seeing what exactly is next for me. And it may not be social work, but Hotep is always going to have some type of social work in it Mm -hmm. because of the foundation of it. But I've been literally, I mean, putting jobs in just any fields, court, criminal justice, (laughs) corporate America, just really putting myself out there because I do want to see Hotep thrive. Excuse me, thrive. And it's been around now. 2015 it's been around now going on four years it's time for it to be in a different space especially as that five-year mark is coming up Mm -hmm. you know it's very hard for small businesses to last five years Mm -hmm. so i don't want to be one of those businesses that doesn't make it so i'm just trying to realign some things switch some things up find different ways to create revenue that's more consistent because unfortunately it's to the point now where if someone hits me up then i'll be like okay let me look at this proposal. Let right. me look at this request. But I don't want to do that. I want to have situations where it's like, okay, every it's two months, set. I'm at this school. Yeah. Every every six months, I'm at this organization. Which and it's I think it's doable. And I think if anybody's gonna do it, it's definitely you because you've taken your life into your own hands. And like me knowing your like the short time that I have, I've seen you do that. And I like I'm I'm again I'm super excited that you came here today. I'm so thankful that you came here. Um, this is actually my favorite part of the show now, where <laughs> I ask people to give me their puzzle piece to life. Like I look at the world as just like a, a blank canvas, and we all have a puzzle piece that we're sticking together. Maybe your mantra, maybe some advice, maybe it's just anything that it is that you would stick. Like what would you write on your puzzle piece to stick on like the the puzzle of life? So in all of my bios that are used. I always end with Marion believes everybody has the ability to turn a setback into a comeback. Again, one of my favorite quotes I always include at the end of my bios, everyone has the ability to turn a setback into a comeback. And I simply say that because if you look at my life and the cards that I was dealt, you wouldn't expect me to be where I'm at. But I took all of those negative things and trauma and, you know, unfortunate situations and I used it to push me and to continue to push me because trust me, not every day is easy. But I can look back on those situations and say, if I was able to survive that, oh, I can survive what's going on right now. Absolutely. Uh, Marion, where can they find you socially? 
Okay, so social media, Hotep LLC is an Instagram page. That's H-O-T-E-P-L-L-C. In terms of that, you can find me via email. M. Simmons, that's M as in Mary, S-I, M as in Mary, M as in Mary, O, N as in Nancy, S, underscore 2009 at yahoo.com. Feel free to contact me. I'm a pretty friendly person. If you have a conference coming up, if you're dealing with young people and you want me to give a motivational talk, I'm all for it. And even again, when it comes to finances, I know every organization does not have the same budget. I just ask that when you do approach me, you respect my skills and the time I have put into it. Thank you. No problem. Thank you guys for tuning in. This has been another edition of Industry Friends. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Industry Friends. I am the host, Dexter Stuckey. If you liked what you heard, do me a favor and rate the show. Subscribe to the show. Review the show. Repost the show. Please tell your friends about it. I really appreciate it. Industry Friends, your audio foot in the door. Industry, Industry Friends. Friends. Friends.